When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. It's season six, episode 15, and we are here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. Uh, with me is uh, not the usual co-host, Matthew J. Harris, but we have Matt Watkins uh, just down the street, a fellow St. Louisan uh, like myself. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna live things up on the Dive Cuts podcast here with me, Matt. How are you? Doing pretty good. How are you? I have very little to complain about. Uh, this is my my last act of uh, as as a Rockham Nation site manager slash contributor for uh, like the next like basically week and a half, two weeks almost. Um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm fighting going into vacation mode. Uh, if anybody read study hall, I kind of saw that my wife's birthday is coming up on January 15th. Uh, we are leaving the country. Um, we are going to Portugal. Um, we are going to visit Lisbon, uh, the Algarve and, uh, and also, uh, Porto. And then we're coming back home. I will be back in time to, uh, watch mizzou play alabama but there are there are games uh specifically this week's games and next week's arkansas game which i will not get to watch so uh our plan for this podcast is that we're gonna we're gonna talk about what the week that was uh we're gonna talk about the week that will be and then I'm not going to see those games, but Watkins, you're going to see those games uh, and you're probably going to have something to say about those games. Yeah, I would anticipate so. Um, I guess you're going to have to leave us the keys to the castle on this one. Yeah, so the the, uh, the, the keys are being left in the hands of the capable uh, Josh Matica, um, and and he's being tasked with with wrangling uh, you and Harris and, and trying to kind of keep you guys under control, which is, which is always a challenge. Um, but switching to the actual reason that people are tuning into this podcast, at least I'm assuming they don't want to hear about my vacation plans. Um, Mizzou kind of going into the last week, um, Matt Harris and I were kind of talking on the podcast and saying that, yay, like we're coming off, uh, two big wins, Illinois, Kentucky, but coming into this week, uh, it's really, really difficult to win in Bud Walton. Um, so you anticipate that being a loss, but it's important to come back home on Saturday and get a win against Vanderbilt, finish that stretch one on one, and and you're you're sitting basically right where you should be. Um, maybe the uh, the trip to Bud Walton feels a little more hollow, uh, because Mizzou did sort of jump out to a big lead, and then the offense kind of went into the tank. Um. 
a, a struggling Arkansas offense found uh, signs of life with uh, Missouri's leaky defense. Um, obviously, the Hogs, not the best spot-up shooting team, uh, but they hit some spot-ups. That always helps. Uh, and they got they got the momentum there in the second half and were able to uh, put the Tigers away. Um, Matt, when it came to that game, like what were kind of like the central takeaways that you had and kind of watching... Uh, particularly how the game sort of played out uh, with Missouri kind of jumping out early to that lead. Well, like we, uh, like we addressed in our verdict feature, um, I thought Mizzou and Dennis Gates in particular put together a pretty solid game plan on that one. Um, if you'd watched Arkansas for any amount of time really this year, you knew that they struggled shooting from outside. Um, they're a, they don't have one particular big man that can be uh, dominant, but they're big across the board. They're big, they're long, they're athletic. They like to play in transition. They like to get to the rim. Their way of scoring is within the restricted arc. Uh, <clears throat> Mizzou knew that. Uh, the coaching staff knew that they that they Arkansas struggled from shooting outside. So what did they do? They came out and they're funky two three slash one three one malleable zone defense um that we had come to be familiar with in the last few weeks and they they frustrated Arkansas. They they had them on the ropes. Um I believe it was what twenty five to eight midway through the first first half. Um you know things were going pretty well for Mizzou. I didn't know if their offense to that point was sustainable because they were getting a lot of points in transition. Arkansas made a few mistakes, a few live ball turnovers, and credit to the Tigers, they capitalized. But that was felt like it may not be replicable through the entire 40 minutes. But the defense, you thought, might be. Um, <clears throat> and then Arkansas made a few adjustments. Um, typically, um, when you're facing a zone defense, you don't screen the defense a lot. Um, but that was an adjustment that Arkansas made at halftime. They began screening the top men in the zone. Um, and instead of taking spot up jump shots, uh, they would dribble one or two dribbles inside the arc and take tough pull up shots. And they just, they started making those. It, it kind of defies logic, really, you know, a wide open three pointer off the catch versus a contested pull up off the dribble. You know, it, as a defense, you're, you're okay with that, you know, but, Credit to Arkansas, they hit those shots. Uh, and then Mizzou was a little, they were pretty good with the ball overall in terms of ball protection, but there was a few times that they got loose with it. Arkansas would get a run out, get a jam, got the crowd going. And it felt numerous times in the second half like the game was about to get get away from Mizzou, but it never really did. They just didn't quite have the offensive punch down the stretch, both at the end of the first half and at the end of the second half to really. Um, to really push for the win. But uh, overall, I thought it was a fairly good game plan going in. They they executed it pretty well. It wasn't perfect. You know, you, you would say that's probably a B, B-plus um, type outing. And to, to win at a place like Bud Walton Arena, you're probably going to need to be in the A's, um, which we saw. But, uh, you know, it, it was it wasn't concerning in any way it was somewhat expected but also disappointing i think um mostly because they had gotten out to the good start and they they matched up pretty well with them throughout the game they just uh 
made a few few fewer plays. Yeah, I think there was a there was a couple keys for me. Um, you know, one was you know uh, must very. I, I think for most of the first half was really really struggling with his rotation. Um, he was shuffling guys in and out, giving them one play, shuffling them out, giving you know, another guy another another couple of possessions. Um, but he kind of stuck with with Joseph Pinion. Um, and one of the so one one of the ways it can help really loosen up the zone is if you have anybody remotely who can knock down an outside shot. With Pinion off the floor, uh, Arkansas very much did not have that guy. I mean, I think you know Council's a guy who will occasionally make a three, but he's not really a threat uh, to knock down a bunch of threes. He did end up making two of seven, um, but definitely not a guy who you're scared of uh, making a bunch of three-point shots. If he's if he's going to beat you shooting the three, then maybe you tip your cap. Um, you know, but Pinion making just a kind of a couple of those threes really, I thought, loosened the zone and, and made Missouri pay attention to somebody on the perimeter, which is something that they weren't really doing before that. Um, and then as you kind of mentioned, like in the second half, as they were kind of screening the zone, you know, like that, that does allow driving uh, lanes. It allows guys like Anthony Black, Devontae Davis, and, and Ricky Council to kind of get into the lane and get those shots up, uh, which is where they're better, um, you know, than, than from the outside. And so just having a guy on the floor, you know, Pinion ended up playing like 27 minutes. He hit three threes. Ironically, like that's half of his, half of his total of made threes on the season. Uh, of course, of course, Missouri, uh, you know, lights a fire under, uh, you know, the, the one dude from Arkansas who can make an outside shot. Um, so I thought that was, uh, kind of a big key. And then the other one for me is, is essentially, you know, the last two or three minutes kind of in the, um, you know, in the first half, uh, where Missouri had a 34, 21 lead and, like I want to say it was like with two or two and a half minutes or some, something like that. Uh, they had 34 points. They didn't score again the rest of the half. I feel like that, like basically them not scoring a single basket in the last couple of minutes while Arkansas, you know, didn't really blitz the Tigers, but you know, it feels like it when you're not making shots and the other team kind of makes a couple in a row. Um, I think that that was a really, really important swing because it, it basically got Arkansas. I I want to say it was like ended up being what was it, a seven point lead. It was like a thirteen point lead down to like a seven point lead I by halftime, right. and uh, and from there it just felt way more competitive than it had been in like the previous you know say sixteen seventeen minutes of the game. Well, and it brought some life into the arena too. You know, M- Mizzou had taken the crowd completely out of it. They were on their hands um, for most of the first half. And, you know, as you said, you make a few shots, get it back into single digits and the crowd starts coming alive. Pressure feels a little tighter. Rim gets a little smaller, you know, th- that's just human nature. So um, I-, I would agree with that, that, you know, the last couple minutes of the first half and then, I mean, not to completely shift topics, but the rebounding um, struggles. <laughs> it, it's that Continue. that also 
<laughs> continued exactly um it's but, difficult to give up over 50 percent uh <laughs> your offensive rebound rate for the other team and and uh and win games it really is well, um, and arkansas was supplying you with a lot of opportunities for rebounds too they missed a lot of shots and it's it's hard to win games when you allow makes or you allow misses and don't get the rebound. It's that's a very, very difficult way about going things. So eventually like, you know, teams are going to score points like the, even if it's, you know, I hate, hate to be too, you know, uh, rudimentary here, but it's like, you know, everybody scores in every game, you know, maybe outside of, uh, you know, grade school, uh, you know, basketball on ten foot rims. I think I think most of like the the second third graders now are playing on lowered rims. But you know, back when I was first playing in like third grade, like we were playing on ten foot rims. And yeah, there was an occasional game where you know your uh, opponent, if they were bad enough, wouldn't score. <laughs> uh, but Pitching this a is, shutout. Yeah, this is not <laughs> that. And uh, and in Arkansas. You know, particularly with their athleticism and and sort of how good they are around the rim, and Missouri's sort of lack of size, lack of uh, uh, you know, of length and inability to really sort of alter shots. Um, you know, I thought was was really really sort of a big key. Um, and you know, and also like this maybe is a little bit like nitpicky. Uh, you know. Missouri's turnover rate was a little higher. I mean, they only had 10 turnovers, which doesn't seem like a lot. Uh, and then neither team uh, neither team shot the ball well. Both teams only made uh, six threes total. But I always think like when when both teams aren't shooting the ball well, a lot of it kind of comes down to when you make those threes. Uh, Missouri really kind of made a lot of their uh their bigger threes in like the first half um you know arkansas hit i believe, want to say one three in the first half and then five in the second half and i think like that sort of swing um you know it, it makes it all the more difficult when you're talking about a you know a close and late kind of game so they lost um that they did unfortunately and, yeah and it, and to kind of reiterate, I mean, it, it is something that we expected to sort of happen. It, it's, you know, but I will say that if they they would have found a way to win and then they come off that win against Vanderbilt, then I think a lot of people are talking about Missouri in the same way that, that they're talking about Kansas State uh, right now. Yeah, um, I can see that. Um, there, there's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, I don't know how much we want to go into K-State, but I think that's fair. Well, yeah, I mean, like you know, both teams sort of started the season with low expectations, um, softer schedules. Uh, you know, K State did pick up a, a a loss earlier in the season, so you know they weren't sort of going into uh, a huge game like Mizzou did with Kansas with uh, with the undefeated record. Um, you know, but but once conference play started, like K State's been terrific, and uh, and really like. You know, no offense to SEC basketball, but uh, you know the Big Twelve right now is the best conference in in the country. Um, you know, and Kansas State basically beating Texas on the road 
uh, turning around beating Baylor on the road. They had already beaten West Virginia, I think. Um, like, you know, those are those are obviously like you know big wins, and it, you know because Texas, even though they're kind of going through a lot with Chris Beard uh, basically being fired, and um, and having the whole interim thing, but I mean, but they're still like a top ten, top fifteen team uh, at that level, and uh, and then kind of turn around and go, you know, top twenty five on the road to Baylor and beat Baylor too. So it's just like. Right, and they've been putting up points. I mean, uh, not to forget about when they went down to Texas. I think they scored what 116 points. Yeah, it was 116. Uh, a Chris Beard team gives that amount of points up in two games, maybe. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it was it was very impressive what they did. So, uh, but getting back to the Tigers, that you know, like that was maybe more of a missed opportunity <clears throat> than anything that might have been expected. You know, Bud Walton is just a really tough place to win. Um, and so you return home. You go up against Vandy. Uh, Vanderbilt is a team who they've had a little bit of a rocky start to the season. And holy crap, I just pulled up Vandy's team page on Ken Palm. St. Mary's is ninth in Ken Palm. Gale Power. Like, what in the world? They, they beat the Academy of Art by 20 points the other night. <laughs> <laughs> what is their mascot, I wonder? I, it's, it's the non-D1 school. So I, I'm the, not... the easels or something like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Vandy, they're 8-7. and seven. Uh, Coming into the game, they're 8-6. and six. They had ha- had to go to overtime in order to beat South Carolina at home. Uh, so I think probably a lot of people were overlooking um overlooking this team i always thought this was actually be a little bit of a tougher matchup for missouri one because as i've talked plenty and i I don't know if we've talked about jerry stackhouse much i know matt harris and i have uh i really like jerry stackhouse as a coach he hasn't quite put together the roster i think that he needs to sort of win at a high level uh but his teams are well coached um if they can have some level of efficiency and offense are usually pretty tough. Uh, and, and Missouri will help you with that when it comes to offensive efficiency. Um, so coming into the game, you know, like Vandy had been playing a little better. They, you know, they had some kind of narrow loss. They had a narrow loss to VCU and NC state and only lost by 10 to St. Mary's and um, had, I guess they had won three in a row, but, uh, you know, like only beating South Carolina. So I think this was easy to overlook. Um, but they're also a team that's like fairly big. I mean, Liam Robbins is, you know, legit six eleven seven footer. Uh, you know, he's, he's a, a good passer. Um, he doesn't really turn the ball over much. Uh, he rebounds well, he, you know, he's good around the basket. Um, you know, they also have, some experience, Jordan Wright, Tyron Lawrence. Um, and so I kind of thought like this always had, had the, uh, the potential to be a, not a loss. I didn't think that Missouri would lose, but I, I did think it would be one of those games where it would be tighter than a lot of people expected it to be. Uh, and unfortunately, it was. Yes, it was. The... Uh, okay. The reason, uh, 
you know, like basically Missouri was bad defensively. Um, this is probably their worst game since uh, on defense since what? Maybe Kansas. Kansas was bad. Um, that being said, Kansas is a very good offense. Um, Vanderbilt is quality, but certainly not at the same level. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was just bad. I mean, there, there's not a whole lot else you can say about it from a, from a defensive perspective, but, uh, you know, um, that didn't help that they got off to a slow start offensively either. Um, didn't help that every time that they started to put some, uh, put some distance in between themselves and the Commodores that, uh, that, uh, gap narrowed quickly. Um, you know, it was just, it was never a game that Mizzou was really able to pull away. Um, there were times that you thought they would, but it just didn't happen. And obviously the defensive performance was a big part of that. Yeah. I think it was basically one of those things where Missouri was, uh, was just going to outscore Vanderbilt and, and maybe they realized that, that they could, um, Thankfully they did, but you know, this is another one of those cases where, you know, Vandy only shot, uh, 29% from three point range. Um, they were eight for 27. Um, but it did sort of feel like every time Missouri was able to sort of, you know, inch out that lead, uh, and get that lead to like a more comfortable place that that was when Vandy decided to make the three pointers. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so it is sort of like one of those things where, you know, maybe it, if you're not shooting well, it's not, uh, you know, it's not so much like, you know, did you make your threes, but it's when did you make your threes? And, uh, and I, I thought, you know, Vanderbilt making three pointers in a timely manner and also, uh, you know, rebounding the ball, um, you know, obviously cleaning the glass just about as well as, as Arkansas did. They were at a 40% rate. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, the only way that Missouri was able to sort of overcome that, and this is, I think, also the benefit of, of going up against Vanderbilt, is Vanderbilt doesn't really force turnovers, and Missouri just didn't turn the ball over. Uh, they had they had two shot clock violations, uh, and otherwise they had four turnovers. Um, you know, so that's just one of those things where, um, because you're able to kind of get shots uh, and get you know, and, and stay with your efficiency that you're able to overcome, uh, you know, a Vanderbilt team who's getting um, a lot more shots at the rim. You know, Vandy took one more three-pointer and 10 more two-pointers. Uh, and a lot of those two-pointers were likely, you know, put-back attempts. Well, and I think going back to your point about uh, when they made their shots, you know, I think, I don't want to say Mizzou got lucky. I don't really believe in that, but towards the end of the game, Vanderbilt was pretty much having their way um, with the Mizzou defense, and they were just getting to the rim time after time after time. And then with about eh, two minutes or so, it was still a one-possession game, and I think it was two, maybe three straight trips down, Vanderbilt settled for three-pointers somewhat early in the clock. And I didn't really understand why. Uh, You know, if you can be guaranteed two points, why wouldn't you take them? you know, and I, I say that kind of flippantly, but it's also kind of true um, <clears throat> that in the last 10 minutes of the game or so, they I, they did not miss much. Um, 
and most of the shots were in the paint. So it, it was just kind of perplexing to me that an otherwise very well coached team, especially offensively, would uh, maybe settle for some lower percentage shots when they had when they had their offense humming. So, um, you know, but you'll take it as a Mizzou fan um, that uh, if someone wants to take a lower percentage shot and it's a close game, it's late, you'll take that. Um, that being said, they did for good measure throw in a what about it. 28 foot heave as the buzzer expired. Um, You know, it's just, you're fortunate. You're glad that unlike what Mizzou did down in central Florida, that shot didn't matter, but it just kind of, it kind of put a bow on the entire day that it just, it was a struggle. Uh, But to the Tigers credit, they won. They uh, didn't play their best game. Afterwards, we heard uh, Demoy Hodge had been a little under the weather. Kobe Brown, once again, suffered some early foul trouble. Um, you know, it was it was a challenging game. It may have not should have been, but uh, it it was. And they came out on top. So there's something to be said for that, too. So that's kind of my summation on that. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I think, like, when you're kind of talking about, like, some of the defensive issues, you know, Demoy Hodge not feeling well, um, you know, as a guy who, is maybe one of your more reliable defenders. Um, you know, maybe that kind of plays a role. I mean, I know that in our chat today, you know, Matt kind of, uh, the other Matt had sort of pointed out a couple errors that Demoy had made. And one of the things that sort of went through my brain is like, you know, I wonder how much like his not feeling well was maybe kind of, you know, playing a role and, uh, and maybe just not having the energy to kind of play with, the, you know, the same zeal. Uh, as long as he was able to sort of, you know, make a couple threes. And, you know, I thought he talked about like the timely three point shot making, um, you know, he was able to do that, but he also was a guy who didn't play much at all down the stretch. And I think a large part of that was, you know, probably some level of just being tired and, and, and not really, not really having, uh, much to go on. Um, DeAndre Golston, uh, again, kind of saves the tigers in this one as well. Um, has a really good offensive game. I love the fact that he's not just just jacking up a bunch of threes and becoming a strictly catch and shoot guy. Um, you know, he is able to utilize, you know, like like Hodge does. I, I, and I think that that's one of the things that has helped him is even though he's sort of known as being a bit of a, a bit more of like a good one on one guy. Um, you know, it's still not an efficient shot to kind of just go one-on-one so i feel like he's been really kind of measured in in when where he's kind of taking those so-called one-on-one shots and it's 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 more when the opportunity is is like one dribble kind of stuff as opposed to like you know pounding the ball and and staring the guy down and and breaking him down i think that's sort of helped him a little bit um i don't know I'm, you agree with that? Am I am I making stuff up? Yeah, I think so. I think ideally with um, DeAndre Golston, you're probably wanting to minimize his bounces in traffic. Um, <clears throat> he's he's a he's been very good when he's getting the ball up on the on the rim, but uh, there's been times that whether it's on ball screens or an ISO that you know the first dribble or two, if he's if he's closely guarded, there can be some ball security issues. But once you get past that he's been a pleasant surprise to me as far as uh, especially his mid-range game some of his tough finishes around the rim which 
shockingly, the probably easiest finish he had this year was a baseline cut off a spot up, which he promptly clanked off the back iron on a open dunk attempt yeah. um, towards the end of the game. But, you know, that that aside, he he's he played a really good game. I he's think been that, that makes some up shots for down. the uh the, the the missed dunk attempt makes up for the the non gold goaltend call. So that um, that could be that was yeah. uh, that that was a miss. Because <laughs> if he converts that dunk, I mean the game is 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 pretty much sealed at that point. I think that was a a, a pretty important play. Um, you know, and I I also kind of pointed out in study hall that I thought, you know, the impact of the the goaltend was maybe a little overblown because, you know, like Vanderbilt was, was tied like a possession or two later with, with Mizzou. So it was like a sort of a non-issue. Um, at first I thought you were going to say maybe it makes up for his half court shot down at central Florida, which, <laughs> you know, I, we're getting to be there that there's a couple options that it could have made up for, but yes, I, I 100% agree that, uh, you know, that it was a missed goaltend and not to mention they, scored on the run out from that too yeah um, which it was him but uh, it was yeah um you know it was a big swing but hey there have been i can assure you in the history of the game there have been missed calls before um, mizzou <laughs> happened to benefit from this one um some may believe that's the first time ever maybe they're right i doubt it but uh you know it was the tigers benefited they're playing on their home court hey i'll take it so, uh, one on one last week, and now you have sort of a, a really, really tough uh, stretch of games. Um, we, we, I think we made a big deal out of this stretch from you know Kansas to the Arkansas game, mainly because there was a lot of potential losses there. Um, fortunately for Missouri, they were able to um, sort of rebound after the Kansas loss and, and get the UCF, Illinois, and Kentucky wins. Um, but now I think is when we're really going to learn like what our expectations can be with how Missouri plays kind of through the rest of January. Um, notably, they have, to, they have to go on the road to Texas A&M, turn around, go to... Gainesville and play the Florida Gators. And while neither of those teams are setting the world on fire uh, in Kempom, you know, winning on the road is still really, really tough. Um, I believe I saw a stat that, like, so far the home team in SEC games is like 15 and four, uh, with like Tennessee owning two of those, or I think that's right. Yeah, two two of those are are by Tennessee, um, and one of those was against South Carolina. I do know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Tennessee did beat the pants off of South Carolina. Um, where are the other road wins? Um, Texas A and M, one in Florida. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> there's the easy one. Segway. Uh, I'm trying. To- think let me see if i can figure this out real quick so tennessee alabama who did who's alabama beaten they beat at they won at mississippi state so there you go um there's your four games so yeah so there's 
four total road wins so far and the two best teams and and two teams that in my opinion have like final four level aspirations uh have three of those wins um so going on the road and winning is tough to do missouri is going to attempt to do that on back-to-back games they first up is texas a&m uh a team who i thought a lot of people kind of coming into the season had maybe like fringe level top 25 thought they would kind of build off their nit run last year uh that didn't happen at least early on um they they're right now 10 and 5 they've won four in a row but they have a home loss uh to wofford uh they lost at memphis um which was a competitive game and memphis is pretty good uh they lost a semi home game to Boise State. Uh Boise State's not bad. Um they got blown out by Colorado. Colorado's kind of a weird team. Very uh, weird. And they also uh lost pretty badly to Murray State. Um so it does look though, uh at least if you're just kind of going over the last few games here, that AM's kind of figuring some stuff out. They beat Florida on the road. Uh, they went by three. They looked pretty good defensively. They gave Florida a lot of fits. Uh, and then they, you know, LSU was a team that started really well, beat Arkansas at home, lost close at Kentucky. And that game was never really competitive. It ended up only about 13 points, but but LSU only scored 56, never really got in the game. And so it kind of appears that, you know, like, Buzz Williams is going to do this thing again where he's crap in the non-con and he makes a conference run. He's honoring Frank Martin. Yeah. Is, is, he, is he the new <laughs> Frank Martin? He might be. Well, somebody's got to be because I think if South Carolina wins any games, I'll, I mean, I, they're going to run into one of them at, at some point, right? You um, just don't want it to be you. They yeah. will win one. You just don't want it to be you. Like, I think the last team to go defeated was, was Vanderbilt. <laughs> Um, and Bryce Drew's last year, but everybody, everybody wins at least one game. Um. Oh, and it and wasn't like LSU even worse than Missouri was, uh, under Kim Anderson. Like I think one I think there was Jones a year. Last yeah. years, yeah. I think you're right. I think like they had they they only won like one conference game, and Missouri won two. <laughs> hey, double but, the but LSU beat Missouri. <laughs> Um, I think that's, that's, I think that was, uh, maybe that second, second Manderson season or something. The year um, that Mizzou had the postseason ban. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we didn't even get to play it, uh, play in Nashville that year. What a disappointment. Oh, I know. And I can, no, no, uh, no Wednesday game. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of this, this game at, at, at Reed Arena. Um like I think Texas A&M's pretty good. Uh you know, they're not great. They uh you know, oh great, they rebound the ball well. Um and they get to the line, it looks like. Yeah, they in some ways they kind of remind me a little bit of I don't want to say a poor man's Arkansas cuz A&M, they've got some talented players, but they they they're kind of in that mold. 
they're not what you'd consider a high-powered offense, but they can score. Um, they score off of turnovers. They score off of getting to the rim. They score off of getting to the line. Um, you know, maybe Wednesday night they start hitting outside shots. You never know. But they just remind me of a, a very tough team to play. They're physical. They're pretty athletic. They can move. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a tough game. And with the teams like A&M this year, you always kind of look for those teams that were projected kind of highly, had a bad non-conference, and then there's that natural break in between the non-conference and the conference season when you kind of get a fresh start. And you are you kind of wonder if that's what's going on with A&M now. Um, we'll see. But, uh, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me if they got off to a pretty hot start in conference play because I, I perhaps was one of the believers coming into the season i thought they were going to be a tournament contender and they still might be um but they they've got talent it's it's not a it's not a matter of not being able to do it they just haven't yeah they they do have some talent they're not like they're not talented in the way arkansas is talented um they've got some some tough dudes uh you know henry coleman is a bit of a bully Julius Marble is also a bit of a bully, um, and and by that I just mean like you know like tough, uh, you know, big, big yeah. tough physical guys who are, um, who are not going to wow you with their skill set. <laughs> okay. um, you know, and and really like even Tyrese Radford, who yeah I I I like a lot, is is kind of another bully. Like he's a he's a decent shooter from the outside. He's not a guy who's gonna, um you know, like, like put on a dribbling display, he's, he's going to rip and go and try, try to get to the rim and, uh, and it kind of keeps his game simple. Um, you know, but a lot of that offense really kind of runs around Wade Taylor, which is, a, he's a guy who I was skeptical that he was going to be any good kind of coming into the season because he wasn't very good last year. Uh, he had kind of some breakout games where he was good, but for the most part, uh, he was he was a pretty inefficient point guard. Um, his offense rating's looking pretty good this year. He's up to almost twenty nine percent of possessions, uh, and he's shooting about thirty six point seven percent from uh, outside uh, the three point arc. Um, his turnover rate's not horrible, uh, but not great. Um, so, like. Is there a blueprint for Missouri to go on the road in College Station and, and capture this win? Ken Palm projects it, uh, Texas A&M win by a point, a 51% chance to win. Um, so it, it's it's going to take some offense for Missouri to kind of get this going. And, and Texas A&M, uh, their, their defense has looked a lot better the last four or five games. Yes, it has. I, I mean, I think it's, I don't want to say it's simple, but this is a game that probably, Mizzou is going to have to shoot pretty well from outside if they hope to win. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's possible that AM starts coughing up the ball. Mizzou gets transition buckets, but um, if I remember right, AM's pretty good with ball security on offense. Um, so the the sledding inside is going to be pretty tough. Not to say that they can't do it. I had a pretty bad string of predictions that uh, you know that points were going to be tough to come by against. Illinois and then Kentucky inside, but Mizzou, you know, they, to their credit, impressed me in that 
in that regard. Um, so it's always possible that um, the Tigers are able to get some get some paint presence going, get some easy buckets. But A and M's a pretty pretty good defensive team, especially inside. So you know you're you're probably going to need to be shooting in the 35-40% range from outside to really have a shot. Absent, you know, other funky things happening like Mizzou turning into a very good rebounding team or putting on a defensive clinic, which I suppose are both possible. But at this point in the season, I think it's kind of hard to project. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. Missouri has won uh, three of their last four trips to College Station. Um, uh, before that, it had been since 2012. Uh, sorry, I had to scroll a little bit. Um, Consul Martin had success uh, down there. Um, the first of those wins was in 2019. Um, some of you may remember that. That was they went down there um, middle of January and and really beat the tar out of a not great Texas A&M team. <laughs> Uh, I think that was maybe Buzz's first year. Uh, 66-43 they won. Uh, the next trip, um, they got blown out. It was 68-51, lost by 17. But uh, the next year was the COVID year um, where there are not a lot of fans uh, in the place, and, and Missouri was pretty good that year. Uh, they won pretty easily. And then last year, if you all remember, uh, A&M won at Mizzou, and then Mizzou turn around and return the favor at Texas A&M. They, they look pretty good in that game. Um, maybe Dennis Gates should consult Conza Martin for what his game plan was going to College Station. Well, if there's anything I knew about Conza Martin and having to face Buzz Williams, it's be tougher than your opponent. And they they were that game. So <laughs> you have uh, you have any predictions on how that one plays out? Or are you going to you going to abstain from uh, from standing out? Um, yeah, I mean, my prediction is that if Mizzou shoots the ball well from outside, I think they will have a very good chance to win that game. If they do not, I predict it will be a long night. How's that for prediction? That's, it's prediction-y enough. Um, so then Saturday they go to Gainesville. Um, I actually think Florida, and I don't say this because Texas A&M just beat Florida. I actually think Florida is a worse basketball team than Texas A&M is. Um, of these two games, I think Missouri's odds, despite maybe Ken Palm disagreeing a little bit, I think the odds of Missouri beating Florida Florida are higher uh, than they are being beating Texas A&M in College Station. Uh, I would like to win in College Station because you get the win out of the way, and then whatever happens in Florida, you can live with. Um, but I think it's pretty important for the team to go one and one. So if you lose a college station, I think you're really, really going to want to win uh, in Gainesville. The Gators, uh, Matt, are eight and seven, uh, one and two in league play. Their one win is a home win over Georgia. Um, you know, Georgia is 93rd in Kempom, and they won by seven points. That was a pretty tight. Tightly played game for most of the game. Florida kind of made the plays down the stretch to kind of pull away and win. Uh, Colin Castleton is back for his super senior season. Um, he's been okay. Been not great, but 
I think not quite as good as we've become accustomed to Colin Castleman being, but uh, he's still very good, still capable of, of giving you a double double. Um, they're just they're they're a, a little bit of a team that just I, I think a lot of people were expecting more out of. Uh, and they just they've really kind of been up and down. They've got uh I mean the, the, the loss to Florida Atlantic is aging pretty well. Uh Florida Atlantic is turning into sort of being like one of the surprise teams of of the you know, the sort of mid major, mid major plus level. Um you know, they they did not perform well uh out in in Oregon. Uh, I think that was the uh the PK tournament. Um, Phil Knight tournament out there, lost to Xavier, um, beat Oregon State, who's not very good, uh, and then got blown out by West Virginia. Um, their home game against Connecticut did not uh, go well. UConn, number three in Kempom, blew, uh, blew them out pretty easily. Uh, they lost to Oklahoma, um, lost to Auburn, lost to Texas A&M. Um, you know, so... A lot of losses. Um, no losses that you would really say were bad losses. I mean, other than maybe a few lopsided scores. Um, but they just look like a team that just hasn't quite put it all together. Yeah, they're. I would say they're, at least to me, have been a little bit disappointing this year. Um, you know, it's a first-year head coach. Um, you can't ever really be that disappointed in year one. But uh, they had a fair amount of talent returning. Colin Castleton, namely um, Reeves, another guy who was on last year's team, was pretty good. Um, <clears throat> they had yeah, some they talent. Uh, Myrian Jones and CJ Felder into coming back, right? Um, so they have talent. Um, they just haven't, again, like A and M, haven't quite put it together. They're built a little bit different than A and M. I think of. I don't want to disparage anyone by saying this, but when I think of A and M, they're they're a physical group. Florida, I'm not so sure, fits that quality, although Castleton could be a major matchup problem with Mizzou, or it could be a matchup advantage, um, depending on who plays more minutes. Speaking of Kobe Brown, who will probably be matched up with Castleton in that game. Um, but they're an interesting team. You know, they're, they're a team that you look at on paper and think, this team should be pretty good. Haven't quite got there yet doesn't mean they won't when is it going to happen you know if it happens saturday that's going to be bad for mizzou but if they're kind of just struggling to put things together um i think i would agree with you that of the two games this week that would probably be the more likely victory of the two it's kind of looking uh they play at, uh, at lsu um on tuesday so that's tomorrow night um we're actually recording while Georgia is kicking the crap out of TCU. I haven't even looked at the score um, since we've started the podcast, but when I came upstairs, it was twenty-four to seven. I think it is forty-five to seven now. Oh man, that that stinks. Like I, you know, I I expected Georgia to win, um, and this is not a football pod, so I'm not. We're not going to get into it too deep, but I was I was kind of hoping that TCU would at least make it a little more competitive. Well, we are being uh, reminded of the what the college football playoff is actually like as opposed to what we saw in the semifinal games, which were both outlier great games. Um, this is more in line with 
what we're accustomed to with just an absolute trouncing. Yeah. So that's all I have to say about football. <clears throat> so getting back to the Gators. Um, so it's very possible that Florida, you know, kind of comes back to, uh, to host Missouri after, after losing to LSU and that put them at one and three and then they would have their backs to the wall. Um, you know, that really kind of needing, uh, a, you know, a win there. Uh, the schedule for them kind of opens up a little bit. Uh, you know, they, they then travel to Texas A&M. Uh, they go to Mississippi State, uh, South Carolina. Those are all games that you can win. Um, they're matched up against Kansas State in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So uh, Imagine yeah, that look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this definitely, like, this looks like the game where, you know, and we kind of talked about matchups, but one of the, the ways that Missouri was able to win the matchup against Illinois and against Kentucky uh, was, you know, Kobe Brown was on the floor uh, for a lot of those minutes. Um, and he was effective enough shooting the ball and attacking the rim and, and doing all those things, um, you know, and, and exploiting those matchups. You know, basically pulling somebody like Colin Castleton away from the rim. Uh, if Kobe gets into foul trouble and he's, you know, and or he isn't capable of making uh, three-point shots, um, then that sort of changes the angles of the floor quite a bit, you know, for Missouri. It, it makes those cuts a lot harder. Um, you know, it, it certainly uh, makes your five-out offense a little more sluggish. Um, you know, they, they do need to see some of those threes go in and see those threes go in early. Um, but I do think that this is a game where if you kind of get some of that momentum early, this is a team that you can probably keep at arm's length. Um, you know, because, you know, Florida just doesn't score the ball that well. Their defense is, is okay. Um, you know, but, you know, scoring points has been a little bit of a challenge for them at times. And, and I think that's probably where Missouri is going to have to take advantage. If the offense comes in and they're humming, then I think this is a game that they should, they can and should win. Well, the, that's all good. And I agree with all that. It, I would just say that offenses that have struggled um, and then facing Mizzou hasn't always been the greatest combination this year. Um, <laughs> some teams have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some teams have been able to take advantage of a bit of a, soft back end of Mizzou's press defense, um, at times a porous interior defense, and at times um, a bad rotating defense. So, you know, really the that to me is a lot of this, that Mizzou is a very, very good offensive basketball team. Um, their defense is not as good, um, and it's give or take. You know, if you're scoring 90 points, that's great. If you're giving up 92, that's not as good. Um, so any improvement that they can make defensively makes it that much easier for them to win. Cause as of right now, like we saw against Vanderbilt, um, Mizzou had to be almost perfect offensively for the final 10, 15 minutes of that game. And they, they pretty much were, um, but that's just a really hard way to go about things, especially in the road and conference play. So that's kind of what I'm looking for this week is how much, if any, of a step forward does the defensive side take um, if they're able to 
generate stops, if they can secure a few rebounds, if they can get the turnover game going, those sorts of things are really, to me, a big part of how this week is going to go. And if they go well, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see Mizzou bring home a win, maybe even two, if they're giving up, what was it, the final 10 minutes of the Vanderbilt game, a point and a half per trip down the court. That's going to be really hard to win basketball games that way. Um, So that's kind of something else I'm looking for. Yeah, they gave up, uh, So you know, one of the nice things about the game box is, you know, Ken Palm does sort of break it down by quarter, and really men's basketball should just move to quarters. It's so dumb that they play 20-minute halves. Uh, but Vandy scored 28 points in, the in like, the last 10 minutes. And, <laughs> um, and it wasn't from the free throw line. Yeah, and the only reason Missouri scored thirty is that you know they were able to go to the line, they converted at the line, uh, and that that took them a long way. So, uh, yeah, so like at this point, one and one coming out of next week is is really almost necessary because after that, then you're even though those are both home games and you kind of hope you can kind of capture one of them, uh, it's still Arkansas and Alabama. We don't know like what kind of team Arkansas is going to turn into. Uh, I imagine they're going to struggle offensively um, more uh, at Missouri Arena than they did uh, at Bud Walton. Um, But they're still a really good defensive team. They're still going to give Missouri a lot of fits. And Alabama has just looked tremendous. Um, It's always a question as to whether or not they're really going to have the buy-in defensively. It looks like uh, this might be, uh, you know, their their best overall team defense uh, since Nate Oates has been there, uh, which is actually kind of saying a lot uh, for me to me to say that. Um, I, anybody who's read my stuff knows I've been critical of Oates and the defenses that he's fielded. Um, they were good when they had a guy who's an all NBA level defender, um, you know, and on top of that, they had uh, they had Petty, uh, who is also a good defender. Um, but this team is bought in. They're top 10 in defensive efficiency. So those are two really, really difficult games. You really need to get uh, at least one win. You get one win, you're sitting at three and two. You go in two, and then you can kind of turn around and, and rebound against like LSU, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. Uh, at least that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I would mostly agree with that. Obviously, it depends on what your goals are. If your goals are NCAA tournament, I think you're 100% on. Um, you know, if your goals are higher than that, which they probably shouldn't be at this point, um, then you obviously want to win two games this week and maybe two games next week. Um, if you're, but... yeah, if you're, if you're Dennis Gates and the and and like the guys on the roster at Missouri, your goal absolutely <laughs> should be to win every game. Um, but for us as fans, I'm going to be more than happy. Uh, like if they come out of next week with one win and they, like, look. If they lose both those games, they can, you know, turn around and, uh, you know, and beat both Arkansas and Alabama. Hey, I'll take it. Like I'm not <laughs> right. Uh, like those are winning. Winning at home is important. I think you want to be able to win home games. Um, I just I have a realistic look at at how this team defends. Uh, my expectations for kind of what. Uh, level of team they can be this year and i i i'm having fun watching them if they make it to the end to the tournament i'll i'll consider this a really good season 
Absolutely. Nothing short of that. Did you uh, have anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Um, not particularly. Uh, we dropped a uh, uh, a bracket projection today. That was fun. Yeah. You had Mizzou in the eight line, right? That I did. Um, there were some little funky results. Um, briefly before we go, um, I had looked back through past year results and the team sheets and had logged all the information into an Excel sheet and kind of tinkered around with various formulas to see how the committee weighted certain criteria and find something that fit as a predictive tool. Um, and it's not perfect, but I thought it was pretty good. It came pretty close to replicating a lot of their choices, but there's a, there are a few outliers that we were discussing in the comments on there, like Florida Atlantic, I think was in the sixth line, which I think at this point in time, they probably have an argument for it, but there's no way they end up there at the end of the year. Um, you know, I, they've gotten pretty much all the quad one and quad two games out of, out of the way already. I think they play North Texas this weekend and um, maybe UAB one other time this year. So after that, it's, you know, bottom, bottom of the barrel type um, quad games. So they're not going to stick there, but this was a snapshot in time look. And Mizzou came in at eight um, or an eight seed, I should say. And they were um, doing pretty well. The notable aspects of their resume is that uh, the ESPN BPI does not like Mizzou. <laughs> Sagarin and Ken Palm both have them in the in the 40s, I believe. I think Pomeroy might have them at 39, somewhere in there. Um, and then the BPI, I believe, was 62, which I admit I don't quite understand. Um, I've never really been a BPI devotee, um, but the committee does use it. So that was kind of a blemish on their record. But uh, so far, ES ESPN just needs to like pay Ken Palm the money. and get rid of BPI. <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, their strength of resume metric was Mizzou's highest out of all of them, the ESPN one. Um, but this year is kind of shaping up a little bit like uh, Martin's second to last year um, as far as their resume versus predictive metrics metrics go, that their resume looks better than the, the power systems think they are, um, which it happens if you win close games and Mizzou's won a few close games. Um, and then, of course, Illinois and Kentucky not being as good as everyone thought they would be that kind of hurt their predictive predictive metrics as well, but uh, I'm not going to get well, into and, it on that, but yeah. And, and I, you know, I still think like there's time for Illinois to recover. You know, they did, I, you know, I know they came up with a big home win over uh, your second favorite team. The, the Badgers. Badgers. <laughs> I'm obligated um, to mention the Badgers at least <laughs> once by law during a podcast and we we worked it in there yeah uh so we're, we're, we're kidding because you do not like the badgers not uh, my favorite team no that, that's your your wife's alma mater is that what it is that's correct or wife's family or something like that my wife went to uh madison and it's partly wisconsin basketball is not the most fun thing to watch and it's partly <laughs> a little bit of jealousy that they've just been so consistently good um, that it's a little nauseating, but you never get a year off from them. Uh, block or mover, block or mover. It, it's just, you know, and they're something ridiculous, like 19 and five in 
two possession games. It's like, if it's close, they're going to win. Uh, yeah. Almost like Kansas, but not Kansas. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's more of a running joke at this point, but uh, yeah, Illinois beat Wisconsin this weekend and they, they're very, very well could move back up into the conversation of the upper echelon teams in college basketball. But uh, at this point in time, they, they turned into be a bit of a drag compared to what we would have expected going into that game. So yeah, I think that they're, they're probably, I, you know, and them and, and Kentucky still has time to kind of figure it out. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Kentucky's going to be like a top 10 team. At, I think like a lot of people thought, but you know, as long as, as long as both are like top 30 level and I, which I still think is possible, uh, you know, we should, should be fine with those wins. Um, on the other hand, Central Florida has turned into a team to watch. Um, they, I believe, did make the back end of my bracket today. And uh, after a, what was it, a 35-point thumping of a fairly down SMU team. They are, SMU's uh, bad. Yeah, that, that bumped them up into the top 40 in Pomeroy. So, um, you know, their their predictive metrics are going up. So that only helps Mizzou. I always, I always say, like, before you fire a coach, Make sure you kind of know what you can get, and that's I think what got. Who did they end up hiring? Uh, I'm drawing a blank in his name. Um, that's not important. It was uh, Rob Lanier. That's who it was. Ah, so okay. former uh, Tennessee assistant was longtime uh, Rick Barnes uh, assistant coach, and uh, and took the job at Georgia State a couple of years ago did a nice job there but i feel like that was i i my guess is i think they thought they were going to get um your boy from uh north texas grant um yeah grant mccaslin and uh and he decided to stay at north texas um and, and maybe that uh, paid off maybe he'll end up in austin i don't think texas is that smart but they could no, do a lot he, worse I they won't they won't hire him um crystal connie like He's he's gonna hit it. He's gonna hit the biggest home run he can hit. Um, whether or not it is an actual home run, it it's got to be somebody with a big name. Um, which is why the cow rumors are all dropping today because you know he's he's reaching out to anybody. Uh, in in and around college basketball, who uh, he thinks can be the biggest splash hire. Um, that's that's pretty much his mo, and I think that's what Texas is gonna do. Um, they won't hire the best basketball coach. They're going to hire the biggest name. Gotta love the coach and carousel, man. That's going to be my new thing on Twitter. It's That's my new thing on Twitter. Hire good basketball coaches. And I'm going to beat that one to death, but uh, we'll see what they do. I won't, I won't naysay it before it happens. So with, uh, with all that being said, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, Make sure if you like this that you should uh, be subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store. We are also on Spotify. Uh, if you are subscribed, you'll get episodes before the box score beamed directly into your phone. Nate and BK are uh, probably recording this week, and they'll have all kinds of things to talk about, including a new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, so check that out as well. Head over to rockamnation.com. You can see uh, Mr. Watkins' uh, beautiful, beautifully laid out uh, bracketology post uh, and all the forthcoming uh, basketball coverage 
uh, happening over there. So uh, head over to Twitter, follow uh, Matt, which is at Data Mizzou. You can also follow Matt Harris at MattJHarris85. If you want to follow me, you can do so at Sam P. Snelling. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I will be back in two weeks. Uh, this guy on the other side of the mic will be back next week with Harris. Uh, you'll get the, the two mats pod. And, uh, and yeah, until then, thanks for tuning in.